light. Green light. Da, 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 da. Green light all the way. Oh, what fun it is to listen to replays. Green light is what you listen to. Hey, what an abomination. Hey, everybody. Oh, my God. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. To all of you and happy holidays. Yes. This is our December episode. This is our December episode. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. Uh, our script isn't exactly December. I'd say it's... Pro- well, it well, talks about a winter concert. It does talk about a winter concert, so presumably it could be taking place in December. Yeah. But that is where the similarities end to where we yeah. are now and our script. Uh, it's a great script by Donna Hoke called Accommodations. Uh, we have a great ac- uh, conversation with Donna. Uh, she's very accomplished as a writer and as a human being. So uh, super excited for, for y'all to hear that interview. We just finished recording the script. It's awesome. We do a pretty killer job, if I may <laughs> say so. Uh, it's Lauren, I, and uh, Lauren's good friend Emily who Yay. are on this one. So uh, buckle in for all of that. But we have a few things to do first. Just a couple. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Mm, do you want to look up reviews and then I will talk about what we do here on this show? Sure. All right. So what we do here is we read some brand new scripts. They might be plays. They might be screenplays. We actually haven't had a play in a while, and this one is one, so that's exciting. That's a good point. Um, And we interview the writers as well. So the point is to kind of get some new work out there, flex our acting muscles, especially when there was no theater or anything happening. We love flexing. Uh, yeah, we, we love flexing. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much what we do. So um, if you have a script that you would like for us to consider for the show, feel free to send that over to tglsubmit at gmail.com, and that will be in the description as well. Yep, that is correct. Uh, we also uh, we have a Patreon that uh, we we've been posting on. Um, we've been posting on it for our other show, the Who Is That podcast. Yeah, so you get both if you subscribe to our Patreon. Yes, that is true. Uh, we've been doing the Mass Singer UK, watching that and talking about that on our other show. And then for this show, um, by the time you listen to this, there will be a green lit up, our November green lit. We know yeah, we're a little late. Uh... Sorry about that. But, uh, but we're also going to do a December one before the end of the year, so yeah, hold your true, horses. True, true. Uh, Quest for Camelot is the movie we watched in yes. that one. Uh, it's a delightful little film that Lauren has seen before and I hadn't. So and you can rent it for free on Hoopla, which yes, is a you library can, app. Which is a, a, a very nice thing to to have access to. But yeah, all of that is on our Patreon. Uh, you get greenlit starting at uh, the green, green candle? candle level, and which then, is five whatever your currency is per month. Yeah, all of our other uh, episodes, for the most part, besides our really big episodes, are at the one currency level. <laughs> yes. One note <laughs> of currency level. So uh, yeah, we would really love if you supported us uh, in that regard. No reviews, no new reviews, sad. sad. But if you like us and, and you want to tell us in a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we would thank you forever. Yeah, we would greatly appreciate it. Yes, uh, helps would. the show and all that good stuff. Yeah, so, Is that it? I think that's about it for housekeeping, so okay. sweep that under the rug, and we can move on to our detours. Yes, we should. Uh, so I have a new movie, and Lauren has a Christmas new movie. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. So our detours is True. a segment where we talk about something that we've consumed recently uh whether it's a movie a tv show a book or a now probably more like 12 year old video game i don't know that's a good point since we last uh talked about it but yeah uh this week it's both movies like i mentioned we both got movies yeah so which one should we start with my new movie or your new christmas movie uh you go first okay sounds good i got a new movie coming at you it's a big movie not just in scope in budget in big names in length it's it's got everything as far as being a large movie i'm talking about dune dune has been released for 
over a month now, I would yeah. say. Uh, if, posters, if you don't know, it's like three posters ago ago yeah, in the Grove. Yeah, uh, Dune is a movie based on a novel by Frank Herbert of the same same name. However, this movie is technically called Dune Part One, even though it is advertised as just Dune. When you get yeah. in the theater and you watch the movie, Dune Part One pops up. So, uh, just to quell your expectations for that, uh, here's a little bit about what it is. Feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital vital element in the galaxy. So essentially what this movie is, Timothy Chalamet is that uh, son of the noble family. He is in the bit of a chosen one role here. His name is Paul Atreides of the Atreides family. Uh, This takes place... Is the planet called Dune? I'm not sure. Um, But... uh, it, it takes place on this planet uh, where the most valuable resource is is spice, this one spice. And um, if you control that resource, you control money, production, pretty much everything uh, in that world. So uh, it's very important. The Atreides family is is kind of starts on top and, and there's some conflict throughout. And, you know, the, the, the plot, I would say, is very loose in this one. Hmm. Uh, it definitely sort of follows Paul's journey as he sort of goes from this uh, – this, I mean, he, he – I don't think we ever get his age, but presumably he's young, you know. I would say probably character is late teens, early 20s, even though I think Tim- Timothy Chalamet is a little bit older than that. Um, but, you know, he looks he's – a, he's a babyface, babyfaced assassin. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it follows his journey mostly as, as he grows into sort of his role as chosen one. A lot of action happens, a lot of world building. Uh, the first thing I'll say, this is definitely a part one. Uh, so if you go into that knowing that, I think you'll enjoy this one. But before we talk any further, let's talk about who was involved in this movie. So this movie was written by John Spates, Eric Roth, and Dennis Villeneuve, who also was our director. Dennis Villeneuve, uh, popular for Blade Runner 2049, uh, and I'm pulling up the rest of his, uh, Arrival, uh, Sicario, a lot of really good movies, Prisoners. He's a fantastic director, a fantastic visual director as well. Uh, This movie also has a stacked, stacked, stacked cast. So I mentioned before we have Timothy Chalamet in the lead role of Paul Atreides. We have Rebecca Ferguson playing his mother, Lady Jessica Atreides. Uh, Zendaya's in this. She's third build in this. Not as much. Yeah, not in this one as much as you would think. She definitely plays a bigger role in, uh, will play a bigger role in the second one. This movie also stars Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård in a role where he is nay unrecognizable because I did not recognize him at all. Uh, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, who I also did not recognize, and Dave Bautista. Uh, so this movie, once again, a, a very stacked cast, yeah. big in that regard. Can I just do a sidebar on Oscar Isaac? Please do a sidebar. Did you see that video of Jessica Chastain, like, trying to convince him to get a TikTok? No, I have not. Oh my goodness, the infidelity. Oh no. <laughs> like, <Whoops. laughs> whew, I would love to hear a comment from either of their spouses, because, yeah. you know, the uh, <laughs> scenes from a marriage isn't really on their promo tour anymore. Like, there's kind of no excuse <laughs> for this anymore. They're, 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 they're done with that. Yeah. They're done with that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Tell me what you think. It's, yeah. it's sus, in my either, opinion. Either way, Oscar Isaac, great actor. He's great in this. Um... I like this film. 
it's it's a long one. It's two and a half hours, and like I said, it doesn't exactly follow a clear plot like a a, a typical narrative storyline. There's stuff happens. There are through lines, of course, but it's very much kind of a coming of age story of Paul in a way. Uh, not your typical coming of age story because obviously this is set on a entirely different world. And I think that's part of what uh, the strength of this movie is: is the world building, the world that is being built by the source material, also by Denis Villeneuve, by the writing, etc., etc. I think it's very strong in that regard, and you get a lot of strong performances as well. Uh, I think I think this movie is pretty well cast, and um, even Timothy Chalamet, who obviously is an incredible actor, but this role is uh, a little different. I guess in when he was in The King, he played I guess probably a little similar role, but you know he's a pretty skinny man. Uh, but, you know, he's supposed to be this young sort of warrior sort of coming into the throne, and I think he does a good job of it. Okay. Uh, there are some really, really awesome scenes that are definitely going to stick with you. Um, there are some people who don't make it throughout the film, and I won't say who, and it's a bit surprising, and um, you will, uh, you might be surprised, but it, it's definitely setting up for the next movie. For sure. And so if you go into the movie knowing that and knowing uh, what your expectation should be for that, I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, make sure you uh, have gotten good sleep um, and uh, get some popcorn and really settle in and immerse yourself in the world of Dune. It's in theaters right now and on HBO Max. So yes. if you don't want to do it in the theaters, you know, two and a half hours is a long time. Uh, yeah. You can watch it at home. However, like we're not used to that anymore. Not being able to like pause to go. Yeah, <laughs> but I would recommend seeing it in a theater, to be honest, because it's a it is a visual spectacle. Uh, if you have I mean, a lot of people have big TVs now uh, surround sound. I really like the sound design as well, actually. Okay. So I think, you know, if, if you have a good sound system, if you have a big TV, you could do worse than watching it at home, but if you if you can, if you got the chance to see it in a theater, if you feel comfortable doing that, see Dune in a theater. If you feel comfortable doing that. True. See uh, Dune in a theater and listen to Nicole Kidman uh, talk about how you should see <laughs> movies in theaters now. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> if you go to AMC- That is the funniest commercial. <laughs> you'll see it. Anyway, uh, it's like you already got us. We're here. Yeah, like you don't need to be telling that to us, really. Right. <laughs> But anyway. anyways, I digress into Lauren's movie. That yes, you so this is definitely that um, we watched. no need to take this as seriously as Dune. This is the Princess Switch Three. Yep. Uh, Let's I get don't know into if there's it. a subtitle for this one aside from just Princess Switch Three. I feel like there is. Uh Romancing the Star. Yep. That's it. Yep. The Princess Switch Three, Romancing the Star. Oh, so if you're familiar with the Princess Switch franchise, which you should be, this is the third one. It is a Netflix. A Christmas film franchise that is apparently in the same universe as A Christmas Prince, that franchise, because that's and like four movies. a lot of other Netflix Christmas movies. They yeah. all share a lot of the same world. Like kingdoms and stuff like that. Yeah, the, but, the multiverse. Um, basically, the big selling point of the Princess Switch movies is that they're all Vanessa Hudgens. Yes. <laughs> um, the, our, our first movie, there were just two Vanessa Hudgenses. It was very Prince and the Popper, and um, yeah. you know they switched places, all that good stuff. And then Princess Switch 2, they added a third Vanessa Hudgens, um, Margaret, who was the royal one, her cousin Fiona. Mm. Um, and yeah, the accents are really, really just hilarious in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, now, Princess Switch 3. Was not exactly what I expected. Yeah. Because I really expected them to add another Vanessa Hudgens, and they did not. And yeah, that was which devastating is to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there definitely wasn't, like, as much switching as I would have liked to see. But they took this in a very different direction. It was very, like, heisty. It was. Yeah. It, this is a heist film. This is a heist film. So let me uh, get on to the, the plot of this. 
Um, when a priceless relic is stolen, Queen Margaret and Princess Stacy, um, Stacy is only now a princess because she is now married to a prince, yes. um, enlist the help of Margaret's cousin Fiona, who is now doing community service and is trapped at a convent for her crimes in Princess Witch 2. Um, Margaret's cousin Fiona teams with a man from her past to retrieve it with romance and resulting in a very unexpected switch. Ex- mm. I don't know if it was that unexpected. I don't. I don't think it was it either. Coming. Here's what I'll say, and but go on. <laughs> obviously, I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about this. This is Fiona's movie. Oh yeah, like oh yeah. Fiona is she very has clearly, the only arc. Yeah, like, she is pretty much the only character that changes in this movie. Yeah, the other two like don't really have to go through anything, learn yeah. anything. Of course, they're there. Yeah, but. and they have very minor obstacles. That they overcome pretty easily. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. This is mainly Fiona's movie for yeah. growth. And I think that's part of where it hurt. It, it hurt itself because I think the first two, it's fun because there's switching and you get a lot of interaction between the different personalities. And there's a lot of them being like, oh, no, I'm so bad at being this other one. Yeah. But they weren't that bad at being the other one. Yeah. I guess, one. you know, when you're when it's third time around, you get kind of good at it. Yeah, but it, I, I think it was hurt by the fact that it it focuses on one as opposed to the interaction between the three. Right, and it's also too like I really loved Fiona as just a pure villain. Yeah, and I get that she needed to have growth, whatever. But I think that if she's gonna have growth, then we need to introduce another villain, Vanessa Hudgens. Yeah, like what are we doing? Yeah, I was really hoping because at one point. <laughs> We see Fiona's mom, and I was just really hoping it was going to be like aged up Vanessa Hudgens, and, and that would have been wasn't, glorious. And I was so sad. And they missed an opportunity there. However, they really did. I still had a lot of fun watching this movie. Uh, if you are a fan of the Princess Switch franchise, this will be different, but I think it's still a fun movie to watch. It's still it gets it's, you in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, it's definitely a fun one. Um, I will say though, probably my least favorite of the three. I I would agree, my least favorite of the three. But again, I. I do just really enjoy these movies. They're just so funny. <laughs> rank rank the Princess Switch movies right now. Ooh, I... There's a clear answer for me. I think I would go 213. 213, yep, that's the obvious yeah. answer. <laughs> if, if you have a Princess Switch ranking that is different from ours or the same as ours, let us know. Because we always Preferably love... in a five-star review. <laughs> yeah, true. We always love talking about the Princess Switch films. Uh, if if you're in the mood for just a, a cheesy Hallmark-like Christmas movie and you don't have Hallmark or cable, go on Netflix. They're filled they have with them. So many. We love watching them. I personally am like that. That's I never thought that would be me, but it's so fun to watch them. And you know, if you heckle them a little bit, that's fine. Like yeah. honestly, you if can my sit career kind of make fun of them, and yeah. it's fun. Like if, if I was in one of those movies and someone made fun of the movie, as long as they weren't making fun of my acting, because that'd yeah. be sad. You know, it would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> if my career led me to be one of these people, and there are people who are in this movie and in other uh, Netflix Christmas movies, who essentially every year are in one of these, either starring yeah. in one or have a pretty big role in one of those, I wouldn't be mad. No. I would actually really like it. I'd be like, okay, so you make probably at least enough money to survive oh, yeah. for the year off Probably of just the one movie. <laughs> you and make enough just, money. you know, chill for yeah. eight months or so. And do like other things, you know, like you can do theater for the rest of the year and then, oh, it's yeah. it's probably, I guess probably when do they film them? Probably early-ish in the year, maybe like March or April. Yeah. Because it probably doesn't take that long to film, Even maybe even later. And then the rest of the year, you Boom. do whatever. You're done. Listen, Netflix, if you're listening to this. Please. Or Hallmark or God. any of those, we, we love to be. We have great chemistry, I promise. 
clearly, if you get in that world, you're in. You're in. You're in forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to be in that world. Yeah. Let me in. Let, Let me, me in. in. Anyway, this movie was directed by Mike Roll, uh, written by Robin Bernheim, based on characters created by Robin Bernheim. And then uh, also Megan Metzger, also involved in creating the characters as well, starring Vanessa Hudgens, Vanessa Hudgens, Vanessa Hudgens. Yep. Uh, Remy High, or he, yep. uh, Sam Palladio, Nick Sagar, Amanda Donahoe. Uh, that's, those are about all the people that we pay attention to. Yeah. But mostly Vanessa Hudgens. Mostly, you get a lot of Vanessa Hudgens in this. <laughs> um, as you should. Anyway. Yeah. I think that's about it. I think we're ready to move on to our script. Are. Yep. So again, when we come back, we'll be reading Accommodations by Donna Hoke. Enjoy. See you soon. everybody welcome back to the green light podcast you got jackson here and lauren and we have my bff from high school on Uh the show with us um (laughs) who is reading with us today emily absher do you want to introduce yourself hi everyone i am emily absher or lily as grossly known to lauren hunkley aka (laughs) lava in high school (laughs) very happy to be here i'm an actor artist and i'm super pumped to do some reads amazing Yay. amazing you know that you're a special guest because normally we introduce everyone as a very special guest no offense to anyone we've introduced as a very special guest but lauren did something different this time which that's, <laughs> that's true that's how you know that's how you really know that you're really a very special guest <laughs> but uh anyways let's uh let's get into this read uh we'll say who we are first uh i'm jackson as you know and i will be reading for bob I'm Lauren. I will be doing some the the very sparse stage directions, thankfully, and also Maisie. I'm Emily, and I'll be reading Denise. All right. All right. Shall we dive in? Accommodations by Donna Hoke. High school chorus room. A chorus teacher, Denise, sits at her desk. Maisie and Bob Daniels enter. Maisie? And Bob. Bob. Do you have a minute? Uh, sure, but just a couple, I... Denise stops as Bob moves papers off some chairs and sits. Following his cue, Maisie sits. Awkward moment. How's Abigail? This semester's just about finished. One more to go. Before graduation? That can't be. She was just here, starring in Little Mermaid. I know, I know. She's already figuring out all her senior showcase material. They do it at Studio 54. She's gonna do great. Most of the kids get agents out of that. I know. The school is so connected. And competitive. Abigail's class was only 24. Aaron's is even smaller, 22. We're going to see those two on Broadway for sure. You gotta be pretty talented to get into that school. Bob. What? Denise knows we have talented kids. They had major roles in every musical, I can't deny that. And solos in the winter concerts. They always get those too. Yes. But not this year. We, the orchestra leader and I, we just felt it was time to spread things around a little. In Aaron's senior year, you decided to spread things around. The kid got a winter concert solo freshman year. And every year since. Abigail, too. That's some kind of record. Which is why this year, you know, other parents... Other parents love to watch our kids. Aaron's still playing Harold Hill for the musical. Well, you got trouble, my friend. My last musical. 
being a drama mama is what I do. Building sets is what Bob does. That's not all I do. It's his way to be part of theater without admitting he likes it. But back to Aaron Solo. We're not trying... He was just... We were just... It was unexpected. I understand. But there are other factors. There were never other factors before. Aaron should just try to enjoy his senior year. Focus on Music Man. Before you know it, he'll be getting ready for his college showcase. It's funny. He's going back to Ohio. What? The school trip last spring was Cincinnati. Right. I had to miss, but remember, it was funny because we were still in Ohio. Abigail's show. At Baldwin Wallace, Roxy. It's the only trip Maisie's ever missed, being a chaperone. We missed her, too. I guess nobody else chaperones as good as Maisie. Bob. Denise said she doesn't have all day. And neither do I. Denise is our friend. Denise is our kid's teacher. Who isn't chaperoning? I do chaperone. The kids when we're not there. Can we not be so? I don't know why you're dancing around it. I'm not, I just- In six months we're done with this school. What do I care? But Aaron- Do you or do you not have policies in place to keep an eye on these kids on these trips? Of course we do. At night. He's talking about the rules about girls and boys being in the same room after ten. Or at any time with the door closed. Absolutely. I patrol the halls constantly when we're at the hotel. To make sure no boys are getting girls pregnant. Bob! To make sure nothing like that is happening on my watch. <laughs> on your watch. Bob, I'm not sure... He's just upset. What. You run a chorus. A drama club. They're still a hormonal in high school. So you got some... You know. What? Some boys who maybe aren't really at risk for getting a girl pregnant. You know what I'm saying? Come on, Bob. We can't make assumptions. Assumptions? Have you seen that Derek kid? Derek hasn't told anybody. He doesn't need to. Still, it really is wrong to try to out- Bob isn't trying to out anybody. I think he's saying that if there's a question- There is no question. I know one when I see one. Bob! Just that if there is a question, that maybe there should be some kind of policy for that. I'm not following. Don't put the gay kid in a bed with my son! Bob, maybe you should wait in the car. The hell I will. Then let me just talk for a minute. I One minute. So, if you perhaps suspect that there is a boy who is inclined that way, maybe your policy should extend to preventing that kind of activity as well as the, you know, girl-boy. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Why not? It just doesn't. Then just give the kid his own room. Solo. That's where he belongs. I can't. Why not? The trips are costed out with four kids to a room. Uh, Then let him sleep with the girls. He means share a room with the girls. That kid would love a sleepover with the girls. That would never fly. Girls and boys in the same room. (laughs) Something needs to fly. So what? Single rooms for everyone? Yeah, not the girls. Don't be naive, Bob. Listen, it's not that easy. For starters, like I said, we don't know for sure. Come on, Denise. You know. But unless a student tells me or his parents request separate accommodations... What if we we requested separate accommodations? Anybody could have done that at their own cost. So the school is too cheap to protect my kid. Or even if Aaron had told me that... He sent you an email. Last week. The trip was last spring. Why didn't he talk to me then? He couldn't talk to you about this. Email then. 
It took him this long to get up the courage. And you didn't respond to him. Derek isn't dangerous, Bob. That's why we're here. Because you didn't respond to him. The boys are friends. I told him to email you. I told him you'd make it right. And you did nothing. Listen, even if Derek is- For Christ's sake, Denise! You put him in a bed with my kid, and he repeatedly grabbed his- He assaulted him, really. Imagine what it took for him to tell us that. He told me. But you told me. And we are, of course, upset to think that Aaron couldn't be safe in a room. In a bed. But Derek and Aaron are friends. (laughs) Not that kind of friends. They didn't have a problem with the room assignment when I made it. What are you saying? Just that the boys have known each other for a long time. They've been in chorale together, shows together, on other trips together. They've been friends. Friends don't grab each other's cocks when they're trying to get some sleep. Bob! Okay, well, there, he said it. That's just unacceptable, Denise. Of course it is. But I just didn't think... I thought they'd liked each other. Liked? Respected. I mean, everybody assumes Derek... See? But we don't know. But still, Aaron also... Oh, no, 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 no. Watch it, Denise. Bob, you weren't in the room. Aaron was in the room, and he was molested by this... This- He didn't want that, Denise. Kids are curious. Boys are curious. And isn't that why you have policies to separate boys and girls? To prevent curiosity? Yes, but- If Aaron was a girl who came to us and said that Derek had repeatedly- Would you be telling me that kids are curious? But Aaron is not a girl. It's the same thing. But it's not. This is messed up, Denise. And if a girl came in here and told you she was raped by another- Is Aaron saying he was raped? No. Thank God. If he was, would you do anything about it? But he wasn't. What about the next kid? He told you in his email what did happen. He more suggested that. Why didn't you answer, Denise? You're his favorite teacher. It's so complicated. Aren't you required to report something like that? When Abigail was in school and she went on the trips, were you worried that she and Justin were going to have sex? Ah, they were already having sex. You knew that? I'm not stupid. So you weren't worried they would on the trip? Why do you think I chaperoned? They probably still did. Kids are kids. That's all I'm saying. If two kids are- Whoa, whoa, whoa. Abigail and Justin were dating for two years. Aaron and Derek are not dating. No, but... They're not dating. Am I missing something here? I'm just saying it might be hard to convince anybody that it wasn't... It wasn't. He grabbed his... Bob! He certainly didn't want that to happen. Denise isn't suggesting that he did. Not at all. So what is she suggesting? She's suggesting that if circumstances were different, like if Aaron and Derek were dating... Then I absolutely would not have put them in the same room. I promise I wouldn't have. That under different circumstances, it might have been more like a Justin and Abigail situation. But that's not the same. More than once, Aaron says. That means he said no more than once. Okay, I made a choice, but now it's yours. Do you want me to involve the principal? It's a start. 
Can you imagine what the principal's first question is going to be? What? Bob. How is Aaron going to answer that question? What what question? I don't know. I've never asked him that question. I won't. You're not even suggesting. Bob. Without those admissions, without a clear-cut policy in place... So you just decided, all by yourself, to do nothing. The kids are all talking about it. They're taking Aaron's side. You thought that was enough? I thought it was best for Aaron. He thinks you don't believe him. If I listen to Aaron, I need to listen to Derek too, don't I? There was so much drama, and I just wanted it to stop before the club trips are ruined for everyone. So you issued a little warning. What? I just thought we're almost at winter break. Maybe that's what everybody needs for this to die down. I care about Aaron, but I think he's going to be okay. Your decision doesn't comfort me. You know what might make him okay? A solo in the winter concert. Why not? He didn't get one because she wanted to keep him in line. No, no, no. The decision had already been made. What? It was time to give some other students a chance. His senior year? Uh Uh-huh. I've known you for eight years, Denise. I've been backstage with you. We've spent hours sewing costumes over a jug of wine. What could I have done, Maze? It would have blown up into something that hurt everyone, including Aaron. Give him the solo, Denise. That's not up to me. I have to talk to the orchestra. Make it up to you. Bob rises, then Maisie. You get so close to these kids, Denise. I thought that meant you cared about them. I do. Like they're my own. When my kids confide in me, I take that seriously. Let's go. Aaron will sing his solo. He'll go off to Baldwin Wallace. He'll showcase. He'll get an agent. Maybe he'll be on Broadway. I will always be proud to say I knew him when. But this won't go away. I doubt he'll want to say he knew you. Come on, Bob. I love all these kids, but they put me in a tough spot. No, you did when you put those kids in a room together and then denied the consequences. Okay, okay, fine. Let's call the principal, then the boys, and let's get them in here and grill them about the whole thing. Let's ask them to describe in detail what happened in that room. Let's ask Aaron why he waited until now, until after the winter concert lineup was announced, to email me. Let's ask him if anything like that has ever happened before, with anyone, consensually. Let's out them in front of us and the principal. How does that sound? Say the word. You're nuts if you think I'm going to let you accuse my son of... You're nuts. We have a copy of the email. The one you didn't answer. Maisie. You should have answered. Come on, Bob. Maisie and Bob turn to exit. Bob turns back. His best key is F. Maisie and Bob exit. I know. I know it is. Lights out. everybody welcome back to the green light green light you got jackson here and lauren and we also have the writer of accommodations donna hoke donna first off how are you today I'm fine tonight. Great. Great. Tonight. Yeah, that's a really uh, difficult first interview question. Right tonight, there. I guess, is 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 better. Uh, so I guess jumping off of that, where are you calling us from, Donna? Um, Western New York, which is near Buffalo. Okay, oh, great. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so a little later for you then than it is for us. Yeah. Um, are you are you a football fan at all? 
No. Oh, okay, gotcha. Because uh, the the Bills played last night in a in a very snowy oh, I'm, game. I'm aware that yeah. they played. You, you don't live here without being aware that I'm they sure. played. Yeah. And Those... the irony uh, is that I actually wrote a play about the Buffalo Bills. Um, oh yeah. You can see here. See this poster. It's called "Once in My Lifetime: A Buffalo Football Fantasy." So you oh, can wow. imagine Amazing. what that fantasy may have been. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Maybe we'll have to read that one on the show at some point. Give 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 the listeners something that they want. Ah, <laughs> uh, so we always like to ask everybody this: What is your writer origin story? How did you get started? Uh, well, I've always been a writer, so my playwright origin story is that um, I, my ex husband started to get involved in community theater when I lived in New Jersey, and so I started going to theater because he was in it. And then we got divorced and I moved back to Buffalo where I had grown up and I really had enjoyed going to theater. So I kept going while I was here. And then there was a theater here whose mission was world premieres by Western New York playwrights. And so I thought, oh, that's a great mission to support. So I got a subscription to that theater and like a lot of the plays weren't great and they also weren't well populated, but they had a workshop that they did and that's where they got all the plays from. So literally four people were in the workshop and that was their season. So I was mm. like, that might wow. be kind of fun to write a play. So I did it and then everyone had the same idea and that year, like all these people applied to be in the workshop and they also realized that mission was not sustainable. But um, I wrote the play, I got in the workshop. Um, they did not produce that one, but they produced one that I put in the workshop the following year and that's how it all started nice awesome. that's awesome you mentioned you uh you mentioned you got your start in other forms of writing before playwriting uh what what mediums did you dabble in before then um i mean i was an english major well i mean first i went to college for speech pathology and I actually graduated with that degree before i went back and got a degree in english so oh, wow. i mean i've done fiction and poetry and then i ultimately worked for magazines and still do i mean that's a big part of my survival job is i'm an editor of a magazine Nice. Fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so let's dive into this script uh, for a little bit. Uh, so we're going to start you off with a, a, an easy one. Uh, what was your inspiration for writing the script? I guess maybe not easy, just yeah, a easy, common one. Easy, but a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, it really just was um, based on a conversation I had with my son, who was in chorus. And, um, you know, we just started talking about all, you know, all these different things. And this just sort of came up when he was talking about rooming assignments at his school and um, saying that they just didn't really even take anything into consideration, which just seems short-sighted or hypocritical or yeah. mm. uh, willful denial. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Outdated, um, many words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just thought there's definitely a problem there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's explored really well uh, in the script. Yeah, and I think... Something that we both found really interesting about the script is that they're full, there are fully two different conversations happening here involving Aaron. So one in regards to him not getting the solo and the other regarding, obviously, the situation with Derek. So by the end of this play, it's definitely merged into one. So my question for you, I guess, is to Bob and Maisie, which one is their priority, do you feel? Well, for Bob, it's totally the solo because yeah. Bob, Bob, Bob has a little epiphany <laughs> during, during the play. Right. Um, so he comes in there on a mission like to use this. Um, I mean, I, I assume that both of you are too young to have kids in high school, but, um, you know, parents are brutal when they want 
their kids to start in the baseball team or, oh, yeah. or whatever it is. So, I mean, it just made it more of a play if they had other motives besides, you know, you know, I didn't want it to be by a didactic, like I'm calling right. to attention the fact that schools don't have a policy for this. Um, but having another, another objective for the parents beyond that, um, you know, just puts the teacher in an even more untenable situation. Yeah, right. absolutely. Do you think that they would have, because obviously the play starts off with the the uh, conversation about not getting the, the winter solo. Do you mm -hmm. think they would have continued the uh, the conversation if uh, Denise would have been like, oh yeah, so sorry, Aaron can have the solo, of course. <laughs> or or do you think that would have stopped the conversation no, for him? I think that would have been it. Because as I said, Bob doesn't know. So, yeah. um, you know, they, they she the uh, mom just has this piece of information that she knows she can use against her yeah. if, if she doesn't come through with what they want. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that sort of leads well into our next question. Um, so I, I really found the characters of Maisie and Bob really interesting because, uh, in a way, they're playing like good cop, bad cop here without even realizing it. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear how you like constructed their characters to achieve this effect and sort of what, what you were going for with their oh, two gosh. characters. <laughs> oh, you act like I wrote this play yesterday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just more I, I wanted um, Bob to be clueless. You know, like you yeah. know, he thinks he's marching in there like how dare the, you know this thing happen um, without any inkling that it, it might have been 100% consensual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I, I found their their dynamic. It, it felt like Bob was really like, you know, pushing the pushing the the um, the argument forward in a way that he almost uh, to to a place he ended up not really wanting to go which yeah. I which I which I found very interesting and 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 Maisie obviously having this extra knowledge but you know at the at the same time um, uh, wanting to still play nice with the with Denise at the same time yeah they definitely gave the impression that I don't know it the way that they interacted felt like they had rehearsed it and yet not like it felt like yeah. they were they were two heads of a dragon or something like that just sort of jabbing at denise I yeah guess. yeah um so why why do you think denise didn't respond to aaron's email about the incident obviously she addresses it as part of the play um but you know being in denise's head i guess um why do you think she didn't respond to the email i think because she feels she has a better read on the situation, mm -hmm. you know, um, than, than the parents do. And, you know, this is the problem with these teachers that get too involved in the kids' personal lives. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They probably do have a better read because they know all the kids involved. And I think she felt like it probably would have been better for everybody to just, you know, let it slide, um, not call attention and, um, and hope that you know, and the solo thing being unrelated, you know, it just, really, yeah. you know, wasn't even related, but she not seeing that it could backfire on her in this way because she isn't thinking, I guess, that he's running home and telling his parents about this. Right. Yeah. And part of me had wondered if like, in a way he had been pushed to send this email by his parents as leverage to get the solo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wanted that to be a question too. Like, you know, everybody's a little bit culpable in in some way. Like, would he have ever told his parents this if he didn't get the solo, mm. um, or if he had gotten it? You know, would it have ever come up at all? Um, my feeling is probably not. 
Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, I just wanted a way to call attention to the fact that schools don't have policies for these things. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, in a way that was still dramatic. And yeah, well, and I, I think that that also makes it. I mean, like you said, you didn't want it to be super didactic. You wanted it to be a more, more layered. Yeah, I mean, if piece, they march yeah. in and say you don't have a policy for this, and she says, "Oh no, we don't." Like, I mean, yeah. that's like you that's know. that's the end of the play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then yeah. it's just I don't know doubt probably yeah 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 <laughs> um I, it was interesting um with the character of denise because i i definitely found myself siding with her but then um i i thought it was interesting when brought up by bob and Maisie, like oh there's not a policy for this she was like no there's just not and it's like you know i i think it's uh, like, well maybe that is something that you know you shouldn't be complacent about yeah, yeah. exactly and um so I, I thought that was a that was a really cool aspect of it sort of her um while still being very relatable and sort of someone we root for is also kind of representing this establishment that doesn't necessarily have uh, things in place for this. For sure. I mean, I, we definitely have some nice, like, layered, flawed characters here, for sure. Yeah. Um, so one, one thing that, uh, is, is interesting about this script is that it's based around people we never see in the play, obviously Aaron and Derek, uh, mm -hmm. did ever in your mind, is there a version of this script where like Aaron's in the room or Aaron comes in at some point? Um, and why did you ultimately choose not to include them? Um, I don't, I didn't, I don't know how much of a conscious choice it was because I'm not sure what he could add. Yeah. You know, like we, we have what he told his mother. Denise has the email. Um, it just then the confrontation scene that Denise talks about then happens with Aaron in the room. And mm -hmm. I think it's better to imagine what would happen if he were pulled into the room and what he might be forced to admit in front of his parents. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the, the horror that Bob would, you know, is better imagining than if it's happening in front of you. Right. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. And I think w not including Aaron sort of leaves the ambiguity open even more because it's like, you know, we, we do have like separate versions of the this event that happens. And, uh, you know, if Aaron's in the room, whether he's forced to or whether he willingly says it, it, it removes a bit of ambiguity. So I, I like yeah. that there is a, a bit of a question still as to how did this really go down? What happened, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, that is our last script question we have for you. So now, if you don't mind, we're going to ask you some questions about you, Donna. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you won't have to dig quite so far back in your memory. Yeah. These yeah. Uh, so you have written about 20 <laughs> full-length plays. Well, actually, yeah, this one might be hard for that, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and over 35 10-minute plays. So uh, crazy, improbable scenario. Uh, the internet doesn't exist. There's only one copy of all of your scripts in a house and it catches on fire. You can only save one. So which one do you rescue? <laughs> oh, an email doesn't exist either? No, I guess not. no. <laughs> this is the Stone Ages. We're back. <laughs> you ri you've written all oh, of these wow. plays on a tablet, on a stone <laughs> tablet. <laughs> well, no, something that has to catch on fire. <laughs> uh, that's true, I guess. Um, I guess I'd save one that hasn't been produced yet. Mm, um, that's a smart answer. That's a yeah. very smart answer. That's true, because then somebody will probably have a copy somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, even if we were still in an era of snail mailing scripts, um, I think everything would have been sent out somewhere at least once, if sure. not hundreds of times. Sure. So I guess it would be um, something really recent, like one of the last three scripts I've written that I haven't really sent out anywhere yet. Mm. I get This is uh, jumping off of that point um, in a way. Uh Obviously, I'm sure it varies by script and and 
a whole other slew of factors, but uh, typically how long does it take uh, for your writing process for, let's say, a full-length play? Are you someone who like can churn them out really quickly, or, or do you like to take time with, your, uh, with the writing Once process? I actually start the writing process, it's usually not more than a month. Mm. Um, but there's a lot that, you know, goes oh, yeah. into it before that. So, you know, all the note taking, all the researching, like I just wrote a solo show. Um, and I probably wrote it in, a, in under three weeks, but I was reading and researching since August, you know, oh, so yeah. Right, yeah. Absolutely. it's just the writing part doesn't take that long. Um, yeah, because I, I just my philosophy is really strongly you can't really start rewriting until you have a draft. And so I will power through um, and really try and get there as fast as I can so that I have something to work with. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so speaking of your uh, your writing and your writing process, um, on your website, you you sort of have your philosophy on writing. And uh, one of the sentences that stuck out to me was, uh, what every single one of my plays has in common is that it sits unapologetically in the gap between seeming or recognized absolutes. So I would love to hear you expand on that if you can, and just your philosophy on writing as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think this play is a really good example of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, it seems like, oh, there's no policy for this. We'll look at like what problems that creates. Um, and it's interesting that um, that you bring that up because I, I feel like in the past two years, like over the pandemic, my writing has changed somewhat. And it kind of, um, in fact, I just had to write an artistic statement for something today. And I talked about this. I think that what you know, in, in presenting complicated questions and asking people to consider all sides, um, if you distill that down to its most basic expression, I think it's kind of what we're all dealing with um, in the past two years politically and, you know, with the vaccine and like all of that kind of stuff. Like that is really the most basic question. Like why, why can't we um, get along with people who have different viewpoints? Which is kind of, you know, whether I'm, I'm you're looking at a play about, um, you know, open marriages or a play about sex work or whatever, and you think that those are absolutes and, and I'm asking you to consider the other side. I mean, that's kind of what we're being asked to do all the time every day in our mm -hmm. current climate. So I feel like my plays have shifted away from being more... Um, I mean, I, I don't want to say issue oriented, but more specifically focused on one question mm -hmm. right. and and have really um, become more universal in terms of asking that question. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> I, think I think so. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It, it, it's well, really. Yeah, it's it's really. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to give an example of. Um, a play that I just finished um, called The Lazarus Club, which is about all these people who have had near-death experiences. And the idea behind it being that, you know, whatever religion you subscribe to, you have a different idea of what happens after you die, but mm -hmm. only one person can, you know, only one thing can actually happen, you know? So mm -hmm. no matter what you believe, only one thing can truly be right, you know? And there, you know, um, unlike, you know, vaccines or political beliefs or whatever, like in that situation, irrefutably only one thing can be yeah. right. Yeah. Um, 
but nobody knows what it is. So having these five disparate people who had this one common experience of having a near-death experience and exploring their other differences and finding commonality beyond those disagreements. Um, so that's kind of what I mean. For gotcha. sure, yeah. And yeah, I think that um, just piggybacking off of that as it relates to this <laughs> script, you know, I think what I definitely like the most about this script is that everyone really and truly feels like they are acting in the best interests of these children, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Now, granted, I mean, I think that the the parents are definitely doing something a little underhanded here because they are blackmailing this teacher. But at the same <laughs> time, at, you yeah, know. Yeah, they do think that they are, especially Maisie, I would say, does believe, you know, she is trying to advocate for her child and, you know... Uh, make sure that action is taken. And like you said, Denise is just trying to do what she thinks is best for the children. And what she thinks is best is sort of trying to make it go away, trying not to out them in front of everyone. Um, So yeah, you know, there's, there's definitely no absolutes in this play, but I think that what everyone in this play can agree on is that there's something that's not right. There's something that needs to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in addition to being a writer, blogger, script coach, all that good stuff, you also write crosswords. So talk about that. Um, yeah, I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) actually I wrote a solo show, um, called the crossword play in which there is a character who makes a puzzle in front of you as as sort of like a Ted talk is sort of the framing device. Um, Hmm. Um, but yeah, I make them, um, I mean, I make the puzzle every week for soap opera digest. So, you know, when you're in the supermarket, you can flip through and that will be me. And I will, Um, I will do that now. (laughs) (laughs) And I also make them for gifts. Um, I don't really advertise in any way. Um, but Mm. people who are home and think, Oh, my dad really loves crosswords. I wonder if anyone makes those. And then they Google it and they find out that there are like two people like me and (laughs) and, um, and so then I get inquiries, um, you know, about making them for gifts. So like, I have like four or five that I have to finish before Christmas because everyone thinks of it then. Um, yeah. So what are those? Like, I don't know. Do they give you all this family trivia or something that you can put in? Yeah. I mean, they, first they have to pick a size because I don't make them anywhere from 13 by 13 to 21 by 21, which is like a Sunday size puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just tell them to give me like first, you know, then we talk about, do you want a theme for it or just want to have as much personal content as you can? And uh, mm-hmm. we go back and forth about that a little bit. And then they just, I tell them to give me a word list as long as they possibly can. Um, mm. Just with anything inside jokes, like streets you lived on, family members, jobs, like they're into music, like, you know, and then I try to extrapolate, like the one I got today, like the person was into classical music. So my husband happens to be um, a double bass player in the Buffalo Philharmonic. So I, so I just yeah, added like, all these classical things, you know, off the top yeah. of my head to try and expand list. But, and then I just make it and then we go back and forth on the cluing a little bit. And hmm. That's so fascinating to me. Do you found that in creating crosswords, it's made you better at doing crosswords? Um, yes. Mm. Yeah, it, it, um, it's a really 
boring esoteric answer as to why, but, <laughs> but the answer is yes. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll stick with a yes. Yeah. Um, so as, as Lauren mentioned, you do have a blog. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so one of your, um, I guess, a series of entries that recently caught my eye specifically was uh, your uh, series on finding Neil Patrick Harris. And it turns out you were not actually searching for uh, the Tony Award winning <laughs> actor, but it was a series on writing a new play with that title. And uh, you included your process, excerpts from the script, etc. So uh, mm-hmm. what prompted you to do this series and to also be so open about your writing process? Um what prompted me was the pandemic. Um, Mm. I, you know, we were all stuck at home and I had a lot of time because I'm used to traveling, you know, like at least once a month for Mm -hmm. theater related things. And everyone was like, Oh, I can't write it. You know? And I knew that if I was writing, like it would just help being stuck at home. So, um, none of my works in progress were really anything that felt like the right thing to be working on yeah. including one about a pandemic which i will never ever write now <laughs> yeah. um, and thank you for that <laughs> um i w- i mean who would believe i was working on it before that no, yeah no yeah um so i had this comedy idea that i wanted to write and i thought if i write it on my blog it'll hold me accountable because nobody was you know submitting script i mean like nothing was really happening but yeah. it, it felt weird to not be doing anything, you know, um, yeah, totally. you know, productions were canceled, but you couldn't be submitting scripts places. It was just a weird time. So I thought if I put it on my blog, it was a way to get work out there and also to hold myself accountable, mm-hmm. um, for writing, you know, three pages a week, which isn't a lot. Um, but it was a lot at that time, you know, it oh, felt yeah. hard right. to even write three pages a week. Um, and I wanted it to be something funny because I think that there's really not a great path for comedy. And like, everyone's like, we want comedy. Now everyone's saying that, but, but there's still no path for comedy. Um, And again, it was about these two very lonely women um, connecting. So it was the same thing, like, you know, two very different women forming a friendship. Um, And it it must've hit a chord because I've already gotten like two 29 hour workshops on it. And it's had several readings um, all online, but but I got to develop it a lot over the past year. Wow. That's, that's awesome. awesome. And yeah, that's such a, a, a cool thing. And I'm sure obviously for you, you were saying how much it helped you keep you accountable and everything, but I'm sure a lot of people pre- appreciated um, just being able to see your process and to, to just be encouraged by someone else, seeing someone else doing something. And, yeah. you know, when people are having a hard time getting out of bed, at all, you know, just uh, because of lack of motivation, it was, I'm sure it was very, very cool to see that. So I, I think that's awesome that you did that. Um, yeah. Those are all of our questions that we have for you, Donna. Uh, thank you for coming on. Before we let you go, do you have anything you'd like to plug right now? Um, I don't have anything coming up till February, and it's just a reading um, of uh, Past Midnight, a visit with Larry and Viv about Lawrence Olivier and Vivian Lee, an imagined final meeting between mm. them. Ooh. And then I have a world premiere of Little Women Now, which is an adaptation of Little Women with those characters now, which oh. I had to slightly adjust for the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. But that, that world premiere was supposed to happen November 2019, and then November 2020, and then November 2021, and now it's April 2022. Mm. Gotcha. Well, hopefully, I've seen some live theater popping back up again. We're yeah. we're going to see our first live theater thing next Saturday. Um, yeah. 
since since pre-COVID. So, you know, where are you located? Uh, we're in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I've been to live theater. I have been going, but now, uh, who knows? My daughter's office all has COVID, all vaccinated, all yeah. has COVID. Wow. Wow. So that's not cool. Yeah. It's it's still <laughs> yeah. here for sure. It's still yeah. here. That's funny. The um that little women now sounds awesome. And Lauren actually in high school, oh, I'm gonna gosh. I'm gonna brag no. on Lauren for a little bit. <laughs> she was in a, a production of the musical and um she oh. actually uh she won our state's um high school musical theater competition for best actress she went up to new york (laughs) to the national theater uh competition the jimmies and uh she was awesome so i just want to wanted to brag on Lauren for a second (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah i mean i i love little women and you know i i feel like i really well i love the newer movie and i love the musical and i think there's a couple different you know time period based play adaptations of it but I was very surprised when I finally read the book, I guess, how, I don't know, while it while it still is a very feminist story, I was surprised how dated it still seemed. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I feel like that doesn't make sense yeah, because it, it, was, it was written in that time period. But... An easy one to adapt because it's very episodic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I also just did an adaptation of Green, Anne of Green Gables for Youth Plays, which is in LA, and also really episodic hard mm-hmm. to hard to have any kind of driving through line but it was fun adapting those characters for now like yeah you know, definitely Amy obviously being all into like selfies and you know um, yeah <laughs> uh it was fun so I'm really looking forward to seeing it my daughter is actually playing Amy wow that's awesome. so exciting so we're looking forward to it. we've been looking forward to it for a long time <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm sure i am sure well uh that's donna uh we'll put her website in the de- in the description we will also put yeah, her, well email. her email yeah in the description in case you want to reach out to her to pick her brain to potentially produce one of her scripts etc etc so uh thank you again for coming on donna uh we had a great thank time you in so this much interview for having me i'm gonna send you that bio right away awesome hey. awesome <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, and go to our Instagram to see uh, a bio and a picture of Donna if you yeah. want to see what she looks like. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Donna. We appreciate Thank it. You. All right. Bye. bye. bye.